You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Carolina De Giorgio, the CEO of Congreso de Latinos Unidos, which translates to the Coalition of United Latinos, a nonprofit organization serving Philadelphia's most impoverished minority communities. Carolina, welcome to the show. Good morning, Laura. Thank you for having me. Give us a real quick overview. What is it that Congreso provides? Congreso is a social services organization that's been around for over four decades. And we are multi-services, meaning we provide services in education, workforce, parenting, housing, and health programs. Got it. Okay. So there's our context for the conversation. Now, before we get into the meat and potatoes of the discussion, I have a very important side question for you. In the heat of the summer, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, I'm a very standard vanilla and strawberry girl. So nice, nice. I have to put toppings on everything. Otherwise, it's, <laughs> this isn't quite fully ice cream yet. All right, back into the work of the Congreso. Who do you need to influence in your current position as CEO there? Well, because we're a social service organization, we have a lot of different stakeholders. For myself as the CEO, there's certainly the board of directors and our corporate funders and partners in the community, but there's also the community and certainly our employees. So there's a wide spectrum of audiences that we need to be able to communicate with effectively. And as such, in this current climate, as difficult as it is, what's the biggest communication challenge that you or the organization are facing today? Well, number one, it's actually getting to them, right? On this virtual platform Mm -hmm. world that we've had to embrace, it's ensuring that our communities have access to digital literacy, which Philadelphia has been really great at being able to provide families, students with that virtual platform that's needed. But it's also ensuring that we have dual language information going out and information that we are the intermediary for gets translated into the language that folks are more comfortable understanding. I think that's something that people don't necessarily understand that this was my world for a very long time working in minority communities in Los Angeles, that people can be working on learning English as a second language, et cetera. But you know, how long do you think it actually takes to get fluent in another language. It's not just about right. you know, taking lessons once a week or for a couple of years. There's a difference between being conversationally proficient and able to understand technical manuals about internet policies or understanding the instructions from the teacher or from local schools or from your job. That there's, there's literacy and then there's literacy. And it really is a whole different tier when you get to that kind of how to live in the language. Does that sound about accurate for your population as well? Yep, that's exactly right. And it's also critically important these days with the health guidelines that people truly understand what the words mean, how to put them in practice, and really be able to protect their families and themselves when there is, you know, vocabulary that's not normal vocabulary because we're talking about health issues, but how do you make that really understood? And you need to be speaking in the native tongue to be able to do that. I think about how many years I spent studying Spanish, Japanese. I don't think the word quarantine ever came in any one of my <laughs> no. textbooks. You know, COVID-19, face masks, you know, this was not in the vocabulary uh, yeah. about, uh, you know, socks and shoes and surgical masks. What? No. Exactly. Definitely requires some new learning materials there. So with all that, 
what specific communication skills did you have to develop in order to get to the C-suite and to be successful there? A lot about it is really understanding your audience and being able to communicate to that audience. So my background is legal training. And so that came with a number of years of training on how to speak like an attorney. And that's really had to be transformed into being able to speak to different audiences now, a community that does not understand legal language and how to connect with not only my team in terms of my employees, but the clients coming in and being able to infuse a certain level of compassion and empathy into the everyday language so that you are able to connect with these individuals. It's so hard, isn't it? When you've gone through, in particular, a graduate level program of some sort, whether it's law, medicine, mine was linguistics, but Mm -hmm. you're so inculcated with the importance of speaking the lingo of the discipline and how to have that academic, that professional presence among other peers, that when you then need to go and talk to, quote unquote, normal people, it's almost like you have to, (laughs) it takes you longer to unlearn all of that, just so that they don't look at you and say, what are you talking about? I moved from academia into executive coaching. I'm working with highly educated, highly trained, highly professional people, but they still needed me to shift gears. So when going from law school and your legal career into now working with a far less educated community in many ways, as far as formal education and certainly legal education is concerned, I would think that that's an even more challenging jump to make to take these really complex legal constructs and and medical, et cetera, and be able to translate it literally and figuratively so that everybody can truly understand not just the words, but the meaning, the implication, what actions they need to take, et cetera. That, that must be, have been really difficult to make that shift. It was, and it required a lot of intentional effort and being really cognizant of your presence, the impact that you were creating when you were speaking, town halls with employees, meetings with partners and funders was a lot more comfortable with me because in the corporate space, that was the environment I was used to. But transitioning to being able to connect with different audiences was really challenging. And I think you need to be aware and put a lot of effort into that. And that was difficult for me. And you used a really important word, it's connect. I always say that for everything that I train, everything that I coach, it's about mastering the three C's of vocal executive presence. And that's the ability to command the room, nowadays command the screen, connect with the (laughs) audience and close the deal. And that connect with the audience is so critical. And the ability to frame things in a way that they can get it is, is mission critical. And I think it's important to distinguish also that it's not about dumbing it down, Correct. watering it down. And as soon as your brain goes into that, oh, I have to dumb this down for somebody, you've already lost them because you're not mm-hmm. looking at them as people, as equals in that sense. It's about just using words they're going to understand, not dumbing it down, not watering it down. It's, it's including the respect necessary to connect and to get that message across. That's absolutely right. And it also required a lot of education on my part. I work with incredibly intelligent people with master's degrees and graduate degrees in the social services sector. And that was not language, philosophies, ideas that I knew from my legal background. So I had to take the time to understand that there was a learning curve for me and being able to use the appropriate vocabulary and how to present myself as substantively credible while I was communicating. An analogy that I like to use with some clients when I'm trying to help them learn to simplify their messaging is if you have to explain what your career is or something along those lines, explain it to your grandmother because you know your grandmother's Mm -hmm. proud of you. But when her bridge partners or somebody else is asking her, so what does Carolina do? 
how can she explain it? You know, what words would she understand? Because she's intelligent. You got to respect her. She'll smack you. You know, you, <laughs> you want to make sure that it gets across. How could you explain to your grandmother what you do or what these issues are in a way that she'll understand and feel respected at the same time? So it's a mindset shift, I think. Then what's one big communication-related mistake that you made along the way or, or a lesson you had to learn the hard way? Well, they say that timing is everything. And I couldn't agree more because sometimes while you may be ready to communicate, be ready to make an announcement, you don't realize that on the receiving end, they may not be ready to hear it. So Mm -hmm. I think being able to time your message at the appropriate moment where there will be at least the most amount of receptiveness as possible is really critically important. So a few years ago, we did a theory of change, which in the nonprofit sector really means an internal self-reflection and evaluation of your mission and your outcomes to determine whether you're really able to meet the outcomes that you're saying that you do. And so we did that a few years back. And as a result of that process, we tweaked a few things. We modified our mission. We modified our platform. We embraced the womb to work platform, which required us to really look at those early childhood years, which we had not been an expert in. And that's womb, W-O-M-B, not room, R-O-O-M, right? Correct. And so as we looked and we embraced the new platform, we had, we meaning the leadership team, the board of directors, and a combination of employees from different levels of the agency had about a few months to process all of the change and all of the work that had gone into the evaluation of the data and why the change was necessary and why we were moving in this direction. And when it came time to make that announcement, I had accepted it. I had bought into it. You know, you drink the Kool-Aid and you expect a certain level of excitement when you make this announcement. But to the contrary, what happened was we didn't have enough information when we made the announcement to bring people to that comfort level as to why the change was happening or necessary. And so while we kept emphasizing this is a journey that we're all on together, they really wanted more from the leadership team in terms of answers to their basic questions. And in hindsight, I would have waited a bit longer until we had more information about the why, the how, the when, how it was going to work with our funding cycles in order to provide a little bit more calmness and comfort to our employees who at that point were triggered into anxiety, change. What does that mean for my job? What does that mean for my program? You know, it was a learning lesson for me. That's hard to remember sometimes that when you've spent all this time processing all the data to just give someone the answer without, you forget what they don't know. Right. And it's not to say that you need to share with them all the information that you learned along the way. Because obviously, if it took you six weeks worth of analysis to come up with this, you can't talk to them for six weeks to provide them every detail. But still figuring out how to distill it down to just enough information that they get what went into it uh, in order to understand the context. Otherwise, sure, they they are going to panic over it. So I think that's great. Absolutely. Yep. And of course, that's the antithesis of what you wanted in the first place. You're looking to get them excited and you just threw a giant (laughs) grenade into the whole thing. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So then what's the next big goal for you personally or professionally? and, And what communication skills will you need to develop to achieve it? Well, professionally, as a result of this theory of change that I just mentioned, which we've now branded as Mission to Impact, we are embracing that womb to work platform, which requires us to gain an expertise in those early childhood and parenting years. And so for Congresso, I think it's really looking at opportunities to gain that expertise in those early childhood years and parenting sectors. Uh, We do a little bit of work in that now, but what does that really mean to become an expert, to become substantively credible in those spaces? And then look for those programmatic opportunities that will allow us to help our families and our kids 
in a much more long-term meaningful way. So I'm excited to look at what that means for Congresso and really bring that family holistic component to our work starting from birth, you know, up until young adulthood. That's great. I look forward to seeing where that program goes and that has kicked in or that's in progress. We currently have parenting and family programs that touch on parenting. But for example, we would look to create an early childhood center. We would look to provide daycare opportunities and kind of bring everything the line through. So we currently have an operate with a charter school, Pan American Academy Charter School, which is kindergarten through eighth grade. So we're missing the early childhood years and we're missing the high school years. And so what we'd like to do is have that continuum of services to be able to stay with these children and these families throughout that continuum. Yes, that's terrific. Now, Carolina, this brings us to the Listener 24-Hour Influence Challenge. So this is your opportunity to speak directly to our audience today and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within the next 24 hours to have more influence. How are you going to challenge our listeners today? So hello, everybody. I really wanted to talk about the power of your words and how to be able to use that in a positive way. So particularly these days when we're all feeling perhaps a little down or dark, the power of our words can be really meaningful. So my challenge is to find someone that perhaps you don't typically get along with, or perhaps that you're in a moment of tension with, and really try to overcome that and express some expression of appreciation, empowerment to that individual, try to resolve that conflict, whether it's personal or professional, and use your words to incite positive. All right, everybody, a step towards positivity. Say something nice to somebody that (laughs) you have had a little bit of tension with lately. This is a wonderful opportunity to get the ego out of the way and to extend the olive branch. I love it. And that's a very easy one to do within 24 hours. One little comment. I know everybody can do it. This brings us to part two, guiding others on the journey. When you think about succession planning, career advancement, et cetera, within the organization, In particular, in the context of what we often refer to as executive presence or leadership presence, command presence, how would you identify and evaluate that in somebody else? Well, from that communication perspective, I think it has to do with a combination of your tone, your body language, and the words that you're choosing to express yourself. So body language can be a very primary way of expression. And so a lot of times when you look to a leader, you expect them to move a certain way, behave a certain way, express themselves a certain way, and of course, then speak a certain way. So in terms of speaking, you know, substantively credible, as I've mentioned in the past, and using the ability to use your words as an art of expression to lead, to speak with clarity, to be able to be self aware in the room and to be able to shift in the room where you may have an intended impact and be and it's not happening, right? So how do you shift and move with the room in order to address that? And I think executive presence requires a combination of all of those different things. Absolutely. And you mentioned it in a slightly different order, but otherwise it's what we often refer to as the three Vs, the verbal, vocal, and visual, right? Your words, your mm-hmm. voice, or as you put it, your tone and the body language. And when those three things move together, they reinforce each other. And to me, that's where credibility comes from. That's the foundation of that level, credible instinct. So thank you for reinforcing that. Now, when you're grooming a high potential employee or you're looking to hire externally for an executive or otherwise leadership role, what are the three most important communication skills that you look for? 
number one, when I observe someone or where I identify a high potential individual, I often look to the intent behind their words. And so a lot of times you encounter individuals and they sort of have a tendency to speak a certain way and to use their words a certain way. And so how is that intent or that spirit of their message creating a positive influence for the agency? Are they using their message to add value or are they always complaining or bringing the negative aspect to it? So number one, I would say the spirit or the intent of their words. Number two, as we just talked about, you know, the body language, which is really important. It can be such a distraction if you have a high potential employee and yet their body language really demonstrates or distracts from the work that's being done in a negative way. So body language can be really important in that communication space. And then number three, do they know what they're talking about, which is pretty basic, right? So are they substantively an expert in their work? Are they speaking about their work in a way that incites confidence and credibility and the words that they're choosing to express themselves? Crystal clear. Then on the flip side, What's a red flag? What's something that could be a career derailer for somebody or would otherwise stop you from hiring or promoting them? I think for me, there's a lot of incredibly smart individuals and the job function can be accomplished by a number of individuals, but I really get turned off when I see someone not behaving or treating their colleagues in a respectful way. And so that goes to, you know, not only their word choices, but their tone. If they are demeaning, if they are disrespectful, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day how well you perform the job. It's not someone that I would like to work with. Understood. Understood. Those are the kinds of personalities that can really be toxic to an organization, no matter Mm -hmm. how much they sell, no matter how much they can otherwise achieve. That that, that attitude can spread very quickly and, and undermine the success of a group or of a team. Now, Mm -hmm. what about managing up? This is what I like to refer to as my pet peeve question, meaning (laughs) pet peeves. When your direct reports or perhaps indirect reports have to present information up to you, what's something you wish they would do differently? I learned this early on. I was about 26 years old, a young lawyer, and I remember I needed some help in the assignment that had just been given. And I went right back into the partner's office and sort of expected them to tell me what to do. And the person looked at me and said, did you Google it? What did you do to come up with the solutions yourself? And I never again walked into a partner's office without having researched, analyzed, having had basic questions, at least preliminary research before I came to my boss with a question or with a recommendation. So I have a really great team at Congresso, but at the end of the day, we have the basic expectations, especially at the leadership level, that when someone is coming to you with a recommendation or a question that they have themselves done quite a bit of research and use their own resourcefulness before coming to you to you know present their case. So that's something that are you working on conditioning your people to do it more better for you? Or is it something that uh, they've you've got them trained now, everybody's mastered it? I think it's always a learning opportunity for all of us. And I have seven direct reports and then, of course, a pretty large agency. So I think just trying to ingrain that in our culture about being solution focused. Uh, I do it with my kids, too. You know, they're (laughs) nine and seven and they come to me and I'm like, did you Google it? You know, and they laugh at me, but it's an important skill. It is funny how work and and family and parenting and whatnot uh, tend to have some similarities. And it's not about treating your employees like children, but it's just that whole leadership thing. I end up saying the same things often to my kids as well. It is funny. (laughs) Yeah. All right. We are now at the speed round. And these are some topics that regularly arise in my coaching and training discussions with clients. And a lot of times people tend to think of them as black and white, either or 
issues where really they're not. And they often feel like they're the only ones struggling in these areas. So this is our opportunity to let others out there know that they're not alone and that there's often a lot more gray in the middle of it. So if you can start first when I when I ask you these questions to give me a single word or phrase initial answer, letting us know where you stand on each of these issues. And then we'll follow up with a little bit more of an opportunity to give some advice from there. Sure. First, public speaking, love it or hate it? I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) I do. But I bet you have to do Um, it a lot. Like right now, for example. Absolutely. I do have to do it a lot. And and it's not that I hate it because I don't think it has value. It's just that I'm a generally a quiet person. I get very nervous right now. If everyone could see me, I'm holding a pen and I'm twisting it in my hands <laughs> in order to divert my nervousness and be able to focus. So it is a skill that you do have to learn. Of course, if you enter into a leadership role that comes with the territory and the title. And so finding ways to calm yourself, to be able to focus, observing your own mannerisms and your own you know, speaking abilities by videoing yourself, I think is a good way to observe and improve. But it is a challenge for me. And uh, I, I post event, I always enjoy it. But during the process, I get very nervous. So what's one thing that you can recommend to everybody to do to help manage those nerves? So what I've done is I've often had someone observe me. Either I record myself or I have my husband or my one of my colleagues run through the message with me if there's that opportunity to do that. And it's a really great way to make sure your message stays focused. There you go. Would you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? Total introvert. <laughs> <laughs> Then what's one strength of being an introvert and what's one area of growth as an introvert? One strength I would say that introverts have is that they're comfortable with themselves and they embrace that solitude and that time to process, to think. They don't really need a lot of external kind of noise or validation. And I enjoy sort of being alone, being able to think, being able to process, using my analytical abilities to prepare me for a response. You know, that the challenge to that is then you're sort of a loner, right? You perhaps aren't engaging enough individuals, perhaps you're not doing enough on the external side. And depending on your role as a CEO, right, you do need to have a pretty big external presence. And so when I do that, um, I enjoy people, but I, I heavily enjoy my time alone at home. So the challenge is how to balance that depending on your role. Then has this whole COVID quarantining work from home thing been a blessing or a curse for you? It has been a blessing. I can't lie. (laughs) I have enjoyed the time at home in addition, you know, to getting more time with my children, but it's allowed me to access individuals on this virtual platform in actually a bigger and more meaningful way. It almost feels like you're more accessible because of the technology that we all are embracing. But I can't deny the fact that I've enjoyed being in my home. It's the best commute you could ever ask for. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Finally, conflict. When faced with potential conflict or a difficult conversation, is your natural instinct to want to avoid it or address it head on? So I generally tend to avoid it in the moment. I'm not an individual who is quick-tempered. So I usually sit back and reflect and allow myself the opportunity to decide how I want to respond and make sure that I'm not emotionally charged when I do respond to the conflict. I think that that has its benefits and its challenges as well. So while I generally don't regret the words I end up using and choosing to say, I think the delay can also have that perception of either not caring in the moment or not prioritizing the conflict. And especially depending on who else is involved, you know, they may want an immediate reaction. So that's been a challenge for me. 
It always is, right? Balance it, prioritizing, but not taking too reactive, mm-hmm. shall we say. Mm-hmm. Terrific. Well, Catalina, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. How can people learn more about you and Congreso? So Congreso has a really great website, congreso.net, and Congreso is C-O-N-G-R-E-S-O.net. You can also look me up on LinkedIn, and Congreso has Instagram, Facebook, social, you know, all of the social media platforms. So check us out online and consider supporting us during this really challenging time. It would be really appreciated to get your support. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Once again, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my quick start guide to mastering the three Cs, command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.